Hey, I'm going to start with a little quiz for you this morning. We're going to put some pictures one at a time up on the screens. And I want you to tell me what these pictures symbolize. What's that a symbol of? That's a symbol of the Democratic Party in, a, in America. What's the next one? The Republican, the elephant. Okay, what's the next one? Peace sign. What's it make you think of? What people group? The hippies. Uh, what's next? What's that? It means a man, male. Okay, next? Female. Female symbolizes a woman. What's next? Star of David represents the nation of Israel. It represents God's people, the Star of David. What's next? What's that represent? America, land of the free and home of the brave. And what's next? Medical. Represents the, the, the symbol of the medical profession saying that they take an oath, the Hippocratic oath, saying that, that they will protect life and, and uh, serve, serve people to help them do no harm, exactly, do no harm. What's next? What's it represent? It's an empty cross. Represents Christianity. Represents what Jesus did for us, right? Okay, so that's the, that's the last one that we want to look at for right now. I want to talk about this last one, and we can switch to the other one, or you can leave that up, whatever you want. But um, this symbol represents Christianity. But here's what I know about the symbol of the cross. That the cross, as a symbol of Christianity, has been misunderstood and misused at times. Anybody a history buff like me? I love history. You know, historically, for 2,000 years, the, the church of Jesus Christ, or not even necessarily the church, people who claim to be the church did a lot of things in the world, and they walked behind the banner, under the banner of the cross. Who's heard of the Crusades? Crusades were warfare. And you know what they did? The people, the, the Christian group of them carried the cross. And they used the cross as a banner to go and fight people they disagreed with. And the people who were on the receiving end of that don't think of Jesus when they look at a cross. Where was I on vacation a while ago? I was in a, a little island... San Juan, Puerto Rico, okay. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> little island. That's, that's how we function our whole life right there. And I'm a history guy, and I was going to all these forts in San Juan. And this is what, this is a couple years ago, and uh, I, I found in San Juan that all these forts, there's a lot of history, and so poor Suzanne's got to go to all the things that I read, all the history accounts of stuff, and that, that most of that was founded originally by the Spaniards. And the Spaniards were the first ones who came from the old world to the new world. And they were the first ones to come to Central America and South America and North America. And one of the first places they landed was in Puerto Rico. Ponce de Leon was the first governor of Puerto Rico. And they went under the banner of the cross. But if you were to go to Central America or South America and you were to ask the people what the cross represented, they would say a bunch of guys who came in and brought disease and persecution to our land. That the indigenous people group, the Aztecs and the, and the Incas, they would say, uh, I don't see Jesus in that sign that I see, uh, I see uh, world conquerors under that sign. And so the cross of Jesus Christ can be misunderstood. And there's another symbol, other than this symbol. Let's, let's move to the, the Mark slide. There's a different symbol that Jesus used, and I'm not being anti-cross. Don't get me mad. Don't get me, don't get me mad. Don't get me wrong, rather. <laughs> um, there's another symbol that Jesus used to describe the type of people that we should be as his followers other than the cross. Jesus never said carry a cross. He said carry a cross in your life. But he didn't say literally pick one up and, and take it and, and march with it. Not that that's necessarily bad, but it's been misunderstood. 
And there's a different thing that symbolizes what the followers of Christ should be, who they should be, and what they should be like. And, and this is the symbol that Jesus said represents the people of God. It's a towel. A towel is a symbol that, that Jesus said represents who a Christian is. Matter of fact, this is the towel that I um, presented to Pastor Paul when he was installed as the children's pastor of our church, oh, wow, almost three years ago now. And I gave him a towel in a ceremony in this congregation, and I said, I'm giving you a towel for a reason. Because the towel symbolizes the fact that you're supposed to be a servant. And if you go into Pastor Paul's office, and you will see this hangs on the wall of his office to remind him every day that his job is to serve. And I want him to understand it. I believe I gave Pastor Mitch a towel also. And said, understand, your job is to serve. The symbol that represents Christianity very clearly is a towel. But because it symbolizes service to other people. And it symbolizes the type of attitude that Christ's followers are to have towards others. And it symbolizes the life of active service that we are to have as we walk with Jesus. And it's what Jesus was trying to get his disciples to understand one day as they were walking down a road together to the city of Capernaum. And he's trying to get them to understand that the thing that represents them is the towel. And so grab your Bible, if you would, and let's look at that day. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 33. It says this. It says, And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he began to question them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. And sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And taking a child, he set him before them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. Now before we close our Bibles, let's flip in our Bibles a little bit further in the Gospels, to the Gospel of John. John chapter 13, and let's read another section of Scripture where Jesus deals with this exact same subject with the exact same group of men. And if you go through the entire New Testament, you'll find that multiple times throughout the New Testament, Jesus dealt with this exact same group of men, his disciples, on this exact same subject. And we're just going to look at, at two of them today. But I want to try to make a point here, that Jesus was repeatedly trying to get this message across to his followers. John chapter 13, starting in verse 4. It says, He got up from supper, and it's Jesus, and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Wrapped the towel around himself. And he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but he is completely clean. But you are clean, but not all of you. 
For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments, taken his garment and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you, should, you also should do as I do to you. Truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is greater, nor is, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And we'll stop right there. The symbol that Jesus used to represent the essence of the Christian character is the towel. And Jesus himself, to make that point to his disciples, took a towel and a basin of water and he washed the disciples' feet that when he did that, he did the job that the lowliest of the servants in their culture was to do. And he did this to reinforce what he had been trying to teach his disciples that day on their walk into the village of Capernaum. This idea that if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. He was trying once again to reinforce that, that message to his disciples on this night. He did it the very last night. Before he, was, before he knew the end was there at the Last Supper. He wanted them to understand what he taught them that day on the road to Capernaum. That if anyone, you or I, want to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Friends, there is such an important lesson for us here. It's a lesson that needed to be taught and retaught to Jesus' disciples back then. And that's why I said that if you would go through the gospel, you would see that over and over again, Jesus taught and retaught this lesson to his disciples. And friends, it's not only a lesson that needs to be taught and retaught to them, but it is a lesson that needs to be taught and retaught to Jesus' disciples today. And do you understand that if you ask Christ into your life today and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, that's what you are. You're a disciple. You're a follower. And it is a lesson that for us as followers, we need to be taught and retaught. The lesson that he tried to teach them is that in the kingdom of God, greatness is not measured by authority over others, but it's measured by giving oneself in service. Friends, that's how God measures greatness. And that's what I want to thunder in your mind today, that God measures greatness different than we and our culture measures greatness. And that's why, that's the reason that this message needs to be taught and retaught, because that message is exactly the opposite of our human nature. It's exactly the opposite of every culture that's ever existed on the face of the earth, and it's exactly the opposite of how our culture thinks today. It's exactly the opposite. In fact, it is the opposite of what the disciples themselves believed to be true, and they proved it as they walked down the road to Capernaum that day. You know, we see in the text that on their way to Capernaum, that they were discussing with one another which of them was the greatest. Now, if you've been with us the last number of weeks, you know how absolutely absurd that conversation was on that day. Because where had they just left? What did we talk about last week? They left the Mount of Transfiguration, they come off the Mount of Transfiguration, and they encountered a situation where there was a man who brought his son and said to the disciples, the nine that were left in the bottom, 
Hey, cast a demon out of my son. And they were incapable of doing it. And Jesus looks at them frustrated. He says, how long must I put up with you? Then he goes to the boy, casts the demon out of the boy, sets him free, and he looks at the disciples, and he said, the problem with you is you've got a prayer problem. We talked about it last week. You've got to keep your trolley motor connected. Remember that? So these men who just earlier, before they left on their journey to Capernaum, had just been unable to do a great spiritual activity, and here they find themselves on the road, walking, oblivious to the fact that they obviously were incapable And they find themselves arguing over who's best, who's greatest. You know, here we find them. Thinking and acting like all people naturally do. The disciples are comparing themselves with each other to see who's the greatest. Now lest we get too critical of them, we can laugh at their circumstances. We can see, you know what, how crazy is this that Jesus had to reprimand them maybe hours before, maybe a day before, he had to reprimand them and now they're arguing over who is the best. But but lest we get too critical of them, let's ask ourselves if this isn't really exactly how we tend to act in our culture today. Is it really any different than how we interact with each other or how we interact with people in the world every day? Isn't this very, this very uh, uh, mindset of humanity, isn't it part of the reason that we do almost all of the things or much of the things that we do in our lives? You know, we buy the bigger house instead of the smaller house so we can look successful. So other people look and say, oh wow, they're doing well. We show off our batting average or our bowling score to say, I'm better than you are. We do it. We post the picture of our biggest fish on Facebook, not our smallest fish, so that we can say, I caught a bigger fish than you did. We lie about the job that we really have when we go to our class reunion to appear more successful than we really are. We rent the car when we go there. Say, oh, I always drive a Mercedes. (laughs) Don't you? It's why the person with the highest grade point average makes the speech at the commencement ceremony that many of you have been at in the last couple of weeks. Some are going to today. It's a it's a concept based on saying, I'm greater than you. I outscored you. It's part of the human nature. Unless we think that it's something that it only is out there. It's only outside the walls of the church. Let's be honest. It's why the first question that I'll be asked every single time I go to a district function for the Assemblies of God is, how many did you run on Sunday? How big is your church? Because they want to say, because if my church is bigger than your church, I must be greater than you. It's part of the human nature. It's part of who God created us to be. It's natural. It's natural to a fallen person. It's natural human nature to compare ourselves with others and want to see ourselves as numero uno, as number one, to see ourselves as better than somebody else. However, friends, Jesus wants us to change. Jesus wants his followers to understand that in his kingdom, that greatness is not measured in the same way that the world measures greatness. That Christianity is to be countercultural. That Christianity is to be counter-natural. Greatness in God's kingdom isn't achieved by upward mobility. It's not achieved by bigger things and and, uh, um, domination over other people. No greatness is achieved through service in God's kingdom. It's achieved, or maybe it's better said, that it's revealed through putting others before ourselves. 
Because that's how God sees greatness. And I want to tell you that's all that really matters. God wants to get us to think the way He thinks. And help us to not think anymore the way the world thinks. And see, that's why Jesus illustrated His point here. By going in the crowd in the house and picking up a small child and saying, whoever receives a small child receives me. Who's basically saying that you're doing something great when you served a small child and picked them up. In other words, he's saying, whoever puts a small child's needs above their own needs understands what greatness in my kingdom really is all about. Because that small child represents something. That small child represents those who are easily mistreated. Represents those who are overlooked and those who are pushed aside by those who are bigger and more powerful and more capable. But friends, to care for the small, to care for the needy, to care for the subordinate. And we all have them in our lives. We all rise in the ranks and there's always somebody that's subordinate. To care for the, the, the subordinate is to reveal what love really is. And those who know how to love are greatest in God's eyes. Those who express love through serving others reveal that Christ really has brought change into their hearts. And that they act and they think like a child of God rather than like a child of this world. And that's what the real mark of greatness is. You see, church, God uses a different matrix to define greatness than the world does. He uses a different grid system that He looks for to determine what greatness is. And we need to see things from God's perspective today. That's why Jesus did something at the Last Supper that is so foreign to natural thinking. He says in the text, it's interesting, he says this on purpose. He says that he was the teacher and that he is the Lord. He says, you call me teacher and you call me Lord. And he says, and that is correct. I am. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't say, oh, I'm just, a, I'm just some lowly person. He says, I am the teacher. I am the Lord. He recognizes it. He recognized that he had the highest position of authority and honor that there could be in their culture. He says, I'm at the top of the, of the ladder. He recognizes that. The natural thing in the cultures of the world would have been then for him to say, I'm at the top, everybody serve me. And isn't that the way we function in almost everything we have in society? I'm at the top, you serve me. Inside the church world, outside the church world. Natural thinking says it should have been that way. But because of his love for others, he wrapped a towel around his waist and he went and he began to wash the feet of his followers and began to serve them. He began to act completely the opposite of natural thinking. And then he said, he said, I gave you this example that you should do as I did to you. Basically he says, as I served you, now you are to serve others. He says, you call me great, and you're right, I am great. But the reason that I'm great is because I'm a servant. I'm not great because I push others down. I'm rather I'm great because I lift people up. He says that's how God defines greatness. Church, I want us to understand something today. God wants to rewire our thinking. Our pre-service prayer, that's what I prayed with our group of people praying before church. God, help us to be changed in our thinking today. Some of us think we're all there. Some of you, have, like me, have walked with God for a lot of years. Some longer than me. I've walked with Jesus for 30 years and every day of my life for 30 years. I've tried to say, God, make me like you. But here's what I understand. I still have a long ways to go. And my prayer today is that God would rewire our thinking. 
And some of us sit in the pews and we say, oh, been there, done that, heard this, don't need to listen. I'm telling you, we're wrong when we say that. Because we all have to grow. God wants to rewire our thinking. He wants to take us from, a world, from worldly thinking to kingdom thinking. Where we understand that God's value system is what's really important. And that instead of trying to impress the people around you, your group that you're walking towards your Capernaum with, because we're all on a journey in life, your city might not be called Capernaum, but your city is called whatever. It's called greatness, it's called success, it's called wherever I'm heading. That on your journey, instead of trying to impress the people around you by lifting yourself up, that rather you desire to impress God. That rather your highest goal is not to impress those walking on the path with you, but your highest goal is to impress God. And I'll tell you that to impress God, that requires being countercultural. It requires following Jesus' example and wrapping a towel around your waist and serving the people around you. And especially serving the smallest and the weakest and oftentimes the ones who appreciate it the least. Because the little child you serve can't, doesn't really get that you're not supposed to do it. And the person with limitations doesn't really get that you're not supposed to do it. They say, give me more. And Jesus looks at us and says, you will especially serve the smallest and the weakest and the ones who appreciate the least. Wrap that towel around your waist and serve. Friends, because when we do that, when we serve instead of being served, it is so unnatural that the gospel is literally preached through you. That Jesus is revealed through you because you're acting just like Jesus did, who was at the top, but he chose to go to the bottom. And when the world sees that, sees that Jesus has really come into your life and changed you because now you're not acting natural anymore. You're not acting like everybody else. It makes you stand out as different. It sees that the reality of Christ's transformation in you shows them that there is hope for them also. That if God could change you, God can change them. They see the reality of Jesus when you walk down the street like that. And friends, it gives you the opportunity to say this. To say, I serve you because Jesus served me. We don't often think of it that way. Jesus said, I serve you. He says, I'm the greatest, but yet I serve you. And he says, as I served you, now you serve others. It gives us an opportunity to say, I serve you because Jesus served me. Because that's what salvation is through the cross. Is Jesus serving us at our greatest point of need. And he says, now I want, he wants us to serve others. Friends, unnatural service. Unnatural, unlike the culture around us. Being at the top of the heap and choosing to go to the bottom. Choosing to wrap your towel around yourself and serve the least of these, my brethren. Unnatural service is a doorway for opportunity to reveal Jesus to other people. And friends, that's why God sees it as great. You know what, church? We are called to this unnatural type of living. You know what, Christian business executives who spend their days telling others what to do are still to serve. Now, I'm not saying that you literally do everybody's laundry for them. But rather, it's, about relinqu- it's not about relinquishing authority. It's about a condition of your heart towards others. Where you understand you exist for their betterment. You exist to help them. You exist to help them thrive. And I'll tell you something, friends. What I've learned as a leader of church for 
20 plus years. If I will help the people around me thrive, that what I'm part of thrives. And when I recognize it's never about me, it's always about everybody else, that what happens is the, 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 the level, the positive level, the blessing level of the entire place is elevated. And is it eleva- if it's elevated, it lifts me up in the same time. So you can be a leader and still be a servant. It doesn't mean, it, it, it does mean you don't take your leadership principles from the world. You take your leadership principles from Jesus. So you can be a, a, a business leader and still serve those around you. And the same goes for the homemaker and the teacher and the craftsman and the bankers and the students and the pastors. We are all called to radical servanthood. This is the way to greatness in God's eyes. Not greatness in the world. Don't get me wrong. It may still cost you in the world. People will look at you like you're crazy. That doesn't matter. We're, we're marching to the beat of a different drummer as children of God. It allows us to be considered great in the eyes of God. Friends, that's why the towel is the symbol that truly represents a type of attitude and action that we should have towards others. We are called to be servants. And Jesus wants us to understand that the doorway to greatness is the opposite of what we have been taught. It's exactly the opposite of what you've been taught. Greatness isn't tied to ability. Greatness isn't tied to giftedness. Greatness isn't tied to strength. It is tied to a changed heart. And that is revealed through serving others. So you can have all the strength and all the ability and all the greatness and you can accomplish great things in this world and God will look at you and say, you're way down the ladder. But the one who serves, he says, you're at the top of the heap. And I want to be viewed by God as great, not just by the world. Greatness in God's kingdom isn't tied to self-promotion. It is tied to God-promotion. King David was great because he refused to, to destroy Saul when he had the opportunity. He refused to take matters in his own, his own hands. He let God promote him to greatness. It's not tied to self-promotion. It's tied to God-promotion. So if you want to be great, and I do want to be great, and I think in your heart you want to be great, it's natural to want to be great. God shows us how. We do it through serving others. We do it by putting our needs behind others because then God raises us up and He blesses the socks off of us for doing it. And He says, serve others, especially the hurting and the needy. And then He will call you great. And that's what really matters in this world. And that's the only thing that matters in eternity. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with you this morning? I'm going to pray for us this morning in closing and ask God to do an impossible work, but a work that He loves to do, to literally rewire our thinking. I need my thinking rewired because I hit my default setting. It goes right back to saying, hey, if I just, if I just step on this person and raise me up, that's the way you were raised. It's the human nature. I want to be rewired, and I want you to be rewired. So let's look to the Lord in prayer this morning. God... Help us to identify within ourselves that we have been shaped and formed in a fallen world and that we tend toward thinking and viewing our own life in light of all the things that we've been taught. And God, that's only natural. 
but that you have given us your word and you've given us your spirit so that you can take us from glory to glory.